Good morning, everyone. From Chicago's airport, it's office hours. We're making it happen today. I have the birthday boy, Mikey Diamond, with uh, Diamond Life Fuel. And, of course, my compadre, the amazing CLS Experience individual himself, the Eagle, Craig Siegel. Welcome, guys. How are you guys doing? Thank you for having me. Okay, good. Well, we have a special guest this morning because I've heard that uh, Kent Gregor is the co-founder and CEO of Symphony Advantage, and he has gone through the same transformation uh, that I have. Uh, I was blessed to meet a guy named Blaine Bartlett, who uh, put me on the Transformational Leadership Council with everyone from Jack Canfield to John Astroff to Bob Proctor to Deepak Chopra and working with Master and Dr. Shaw and Coming from the legal world, the sports agency world, I could not have had a more scarce capitalistic opinion of business. Uh, and uh, I shifted that paradigm, Kent, and it seems I do have as well. And uh, we, we titled our book Compassionate Capitalism, and you deal in conscious capitalism. And I was wondering if you could give us just a little bit of background on what the new business model of conscious capitalism entails. Sure. So um, good morning. Conscious capitalism is a way in which we can express ourselves through elevating humanity. It's very purpose driven. Um, one of the things that distinguishes conscious capitalism um, from a more traditional model is to be focused on what is the worthy thing that we're going to solve here on the planet. Could be environmental, um, could be for society or more specifically a community. When we look at doing a more caring way of doing business, it's like our business just starts to take off. Uh, employees really care. They're more attracted. We find that more people want to work for the company. We don't have to have conversations around what's going to motivate our employees because they're so anchored in the higher purpose of the organization. Customers begin to recognize that and our customer base grows. So it's it's definitely a newer way of doing business. Conscious Capitalism as an organization has been around for a number of years. It's catching on now and there's a lot more interest in companies wanting to know how, you know, what what is the secret thought? How do I really do it? Uh, I think that's our biggest challenge over the next uh, five to 10 years. My, my question, Ken, is this. Um what made you make the shift obviously you were making some bad choices and you were unconscious in a way so what was the epiphany that made you become conscious to make this change yeah uh, for me it didn't happen overnight um, but it did take a series of events my first uh, company was actually really young i had a manufacturing a real manufacturing company uh, not just you know something small at age 14. Um, that was a that was a good lesson, a good opportunity. My dad was an entrepreneur. I had the opportunity to work with him. When I launched my first larger company, uh, software development in the college and university administrative space, um, it was not with my dad at my side. I chose to do it on my own, and uh, things were going extraordinarily well. But he approached me one day and he said, "You know, Kent, um, you're just focused on the wrong things in your business and your personal life." Uh, that was one of his key messages. You were raised to be very caring and kind. It's not showing up. And then the one that probably hurt me most um, at the moment, because, you know, these were pretty hard things to hear from your dad, was that, um, you know, it, you, you're, you've been financially successful and su successful in a way in which people at your age typically don't see. And there's no 
no real purpose behind how you're using your money. That caused me to begin to realize I needed to go back and look at the lessons that my father had shared. Um, through the years, um, I became more interested in how do we really work with companies um, and our own companies, because I've had so many of them, in a way in which people were truly first and at the center of the organization. So I approached it more from that point of view than we're community and society. The big pivotal point though, if there was a moment in time was when I attended my first Conscious Capitalism CEO Summit, that particular moment and realizing that now I started to see a roadmap, I'd been doing things, but to see this roadmap, create some encouragement and I just plunged right in and I've never looked back. This is great. And Dave, he used the word interested there, which I know is your favorite as opposed to interesting. Uh, Kent, I have to ask you because there's a lot of alignment between me and you with this word, the word symphony. Why did you name it symphony advantage? Well, I'd like to say that uh, there was some major brainchild in a way there was. It was my business partner and spouse. So that part was the major brainchild. We'd hired a marketing firm to help us rename um, our company. It was it had a very different name. We wanted it to represent what we were doing. Marketing company came back with some names. It didn't hit. We happened to be at the symphony in Atlanta at the time, the symphony orchestra. And it was an amazing performance. And at the end, we were just talking about it. He said, you know, I've got the perfect name. It's symphony. And we had already had a number of the companies with the word advantage in it. And then out of the mouth immediately was at that time, it's changed. But our so-called tagline or positioning was orchestrating business and it stuck. And that's where the name came from. We tested it, of course, but that's how it came about. So as I look at it today, it still has a lot of synergy into organization and even the play in which you think about companies mimicking like human like cells and so on there's a lot of uh, analogies there not a hierarchical one but a very um, holistic approach yeah i love that and can you know the numbers are indisputable that when we take a either a compassionate or a conscious approach uh which takes a little extra work and a little extra investment and a lot more interest as craig has pointed out that the numbers don't lie and you are you know a seasoned consultant and as we have equity inclusion, as we institute sustainable practices, all of these different measures, whether you define it as conscious or compassionate or uh, just abundant, they all have proven economically to be well worth the investment. Uh, as you have stated, this is becoming more and more uh, of an awareness within the corporate. But yet we still have such a long way to go. How do you articulate the quantitative analysis of the benefits of, you know, being a compassionate capitalist? You know, one of the, so if I was to actually state one of the statistics that uh, catches a lot of attention, um, and this was measured over a long period of time, and then there are specific measurements around it. Uh, Purpose-driven companies do almost 400% better in terms of returns on the stock market over traditional companies. That particular, and it's very well understood, um, meaning the research is very well backing up that information, and it looked at it over a very long period of time. So one of the reasons, uh, for, well, there's many reasons for it, but one of the things I like to point out is, you know, it does take a little longer play. You know, we begin to take a look at, you know, we don't want to make these decisions in which we could benefit the short term 
only to essentially erode the long term. We sometimes, you know, these trade-off decisions are really challenging. One of the leaps of faith is beginning to grow that culture and the awareness and the brand identity within the marketplace. So one of the areas of less spend to be able to invest more as a conscious business is in the area of marketing. Um, I happen to have been very drawn to marketing personally and have a great understanding of it. But that, too, for me, took a major shift. So um, because the question oftentimes comes up, I'm making this change, but how am I going to afford to do it? Um, we could, Oftentimes, companies that are spending a lot of marketing now discover they don't need to. And that marketing, to some extent, and maybe even to a great extent for many companies, is manipulative. Uh, so, you you know, you do away with it and you focus in other places put that money or put that energy where it's going to get a better return. And there's different prosperities. You know, there's different measures of prosperity, and you mentioned two of them. Um, but certainly, you know, a lot of people now are looking at environmental. What are they doing environmentally? And not just an ROI, but how does it show up in a much bigger way, um, but not as an independent metric like an initiative that needs to be part of the holistic model? Kent, you know, we all talk about the why. Simon Sinek talks about the why, the purpose, the mission. But how, when you're working with a company or with a person, your dad pulled you aside and told you to realign your values, which are so important, and have more empowering values? How do you help other people do that? Yeah, so the first, you're right, values are very, very central. And if you'd asked me 15 years ago, I can tell you what I would have said then is very different than today. What I've seen today is it's no longer just about purpose, um, it's more about a moonshot. And it is about, um, it's, you know, it's, the, it's the platinum rule. Um, not so much like the golden rule. So when we look at it, it's about solving a worthy problem or challenge, as I mentioned earlier, that could be in your community. For example, um, maybe it's gang violence. Well, what can you do with gang violence if you're not specifically offering that as a product or service? Uh, the answer is yes, you can. And there's so many great examples of companies making those changes um, and being able to align to that true north, to that moonshot to guide their company. So in working with companies, um, understanding the value set, where I think there's a challenge with the value set, and I think about this a lot. Um, ironically, this morning, um, as I was walking to the gym, I was thinking about a client, a potential client that approached me, and he said, you know, we're very, very clear about what our values are. And I asked him, what are the values? And as I started speaking with some of the other executives, I knew that there was a major value misalignment and it's not uncommon because the practice that's too often used is to ask a few people what they think the values need to be versus taking a look at what are the values that exist today, where, where do they believe the values need to be, even at the fringes of the organization, to help them do their job better in alignment with purpose. When that happens, there's a completely different dynamic instead of being what I would call values that appear to be nice and it's an exercise, let's actually look at values that are partly responsible for where a company has been and created success. What's actually going to get them where they need to be in alignment with the people that are there? It, it, this is a terrific conversation. So many words that you're using really stick out to me, like moonshot, uh, mm -hmm. and obviously symphony and so far. Two quick questions. Number one, I have to ask you, what you work out this morning? And number two, before you were talking about the difference between purpose-driven companies and traditional, although that's probably obvious to us, maybe some people in the audience aren't familiar with what the difference is. Maybe you can elaborate on the difference between purpose-driven and traditional. 
Sure. So yeah, my workout um, recently uh, joined what's called the Quinn House, Q-U-I-N House in Boston. And it was it's actually the oldest social club the building is and the premise, the oldest social club in the United States. However, there's something that really distinguishes this club. And I think it's a great question you've asked because I would not have just joined a club. This is a place in which members are chosen because of the impact that they're having in the local community and beyond. Money doesn't buy your way into this club. The conversations, the connection, the co-creation is extraordinary. So as you can see, it's completely aligned with who I am. And I just had dinner with almost probably 20 members that I had not met before. And the conversations were like, um, I, I don't know how to describe. They were so aligned. People... Um, are very, very aligned in this club in that we want to work toward that purpose, whatever that purpose may be for us. When we talk about you know, the difference between purpose-driven company, and it's we're kind of going to go back to part of the conversation that we've had versus a traditional company, a purpose-driven company, by definition, first is reevaluating what does purpose really mean, and it's in that moonshot, um, that higher purpose. Um, I think purpose has been used so much that it's one of the reasons I put out there the notion of moonshot or true north. We're much more familiar with certainly some great work around that, um, but getting that alignment. But it's not it's it's in that that's the true north. And I like to say it's the most strategic decision that a company will ever make is that moonshot. And it's usually not paragraphs. It's oftentimes a sentence could be two or three. Sometimes it's not even a whole sentence, but it's clear that everybody in the organization wants to get behind it. They see their place. And the notion of starting to show up for work and do things, whether they're paid or not, sounds somewhat like almost like esoteric as a concept. Does that really happen? Um, yeah, it does. In purpose-driven companies, people are driven from a new place. So what I would say about that from a cultural point of view is that in these organizations, they're supporting employees in living a life in which they thrive, both at work and outside of work. When people are seen as humans and that they have a contribution that they can make well beyond the business, but in their family unit in a new way, other ways they'll show up in society, whether they're a natural leader, a servant leader, or whether a volunteer in another way, they begin to see their lives uh, flourishing and you see different aspects of prosperity. Um, across your, uh, you know, across your human um, people in an organization. Okay, and we see that, that I mean, it's a, just the alignment is incredible. We appreciate Ken for uh, all that you do at Civic Advantage to bring the economic side to the purposeful side of creating wealth in abundance. Uh, just a mindset, a heart set, and a handset that will carry the United States, I think, far beyond what most people's expectations are in the international uh, perspective as well as we start opening up our economy to the entire world. Uh, as usual, the leader in compassionate capitalism as well as conscious capitalism, Kent Gregor, thank you so much. Check him out at symphonyadvantage.com. We'll have you back on soon. Thanks so much. Thank you, Kent. Thank you. Awesome. All right. Now we're going to get a little bit deeper into the traditional business side of things. We have Jake Clopton here, and Jake is a serial entrepreneur. This guy can make it happen. What I love about him is uh, with no prior experience at all, in 2021, decides he's going to make millions in real estate and not only builds a $150 million 
business uh, with a team of five, but he publishes a book called Commercial Real Estate Investing uh, with a realistic approach of understanding, finding, and funding deals. Uh, now, Jake, since you've written the book, the world's changed dramatically. And, uh, you know, I do a, a lot in, of investing and, and advising of understanding, finding, and funding. Uh, what are some of the key the key differences today uh, from when you wrote your book in, uh, to now uh, with what's going on in the supply and demand side of it, the interest rate side of it? Uh, what are the differences now today in the investing in understanding, finding, and funding projects? Um, yeah, no, good question, and uh, thanks for having me on. Um, just to clarify, also, we started in a uh, two thousand nine ish, ten ish era. Um, back in so we're we're two recessions in at this point, about to be three, I guess. Uh, um, I have maybe I just so you know, I have one of the most stellar research teams. So uh, I can't believe that they would. Uh, no, it, it's, it's all good. <laughs> that that would be quite the uh, the, the moonshot, right, from two thousand twenty one. So. Right. So the book that we put out and published, you know, really came out in January um, and is really kind of a guide to kind of navigating capital markets and, you know, finding deals. And, and that's what my, my company does. Right. I mean, we're basically a liquidity provider for, to you know owners and operators of real estate, um, commercial real estate. Right. So we we find capital, you know, debt and equity, and we bring that to to operators, right? And so, you know, the, the book is really, you know, kind of like a guide or handbook to try to, you know, kind of bring some of my and our inside knowledge and just kind of put it into someone's hands that in like an easily accessible format. Um, so that kind of came out in January. Um, I think a lot of the principles still apply, but, you know, obviously things are a lot different and a lot of that is fed induced because of what they're doing to try to bring in inflation. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's definitely a, a different marketplace, but I think the overall principles are still pretty much the same. Um, but, uh, you know, it's just gotten more difficult to navigate what's going on because of all the rate hikes and, you know, the recession that's clearly coming that they're trying to induce. <laughs> Jake, I have a question. Um, going sure. through commercial, commercial real estate was no joke going through the pandemic. So many people were you know, virtual. How did you pivot and how did you keep people motivated? Um, yeah, no, good question. So the pandemic was really interesting, Nick, because some types of real estate uh, were suffering pretty heavily, uh, like hotels, right, office buildings. Um, but other types of real estate were actually doing pretty well. Um, and so, you know, I, I try to run my business as not like just, you know, plowing forward and banging my head against the wall. I try to follow like macro trends that are kind of happening in what we do. Um, so, you know, I, what, what I did was kind of try to follow what was, what was going to work. Um, and at the time, right. Uh, we hadn't really done a whole bunch of like home builder finance, um, actually much of any, um, but you know, that whole sector of the industry was on fire. So I really pivoted um in you know the early part of the second quarter of you know uh, 2020 and you know built out a whole platform is to provide liquidity for home builders um and we actually ended up having a great year because you know instead of just you know trying to finance hotels and stuff like that and you know retail centers that we've done in the past you know we pivoted in, into that sector and and we're able to get a ton done because of that but 
had I just beat my head against the wall and tried to do the same things we've always been doing, that wouldn't have worked out that way. This is great stuff. I love this conversation. Uh, Jake, I, I want to acknowledge you. You started this company with no prior experience. It's something I can relate to. In the pandemic, I pivoted from Wall Street and started my online business, and it's exploded. And people always ask me, like, weren't you scared to step into something like that with no experience? For me personally, I, I just didn't want to go back to doing what I was doing, so I was okay with taking a swing. What was your inspiration to step into this line of work with no prior experience? Obviously, it takes a lot of courage. Yeah, yeah. Um, so actually, my, you know, my, my pivot into this is not too dissimilar, I guess, from what you were doing. I used to trade uh, interest rate uh, futures yeah. uh, here in Chicago. Um, and, you know, it was the last go around of a recession, right? But, the, you know, the financial crisis. Um, and if you remember, interest rates went to zero. And to make money trading, you got to have things move around. Um, and that whole market just completely dried up. And I was like, well, I got to find something else to do. Um, I was also tired of working from 1 a.m. to 4 p.m. every day. So that had something to do with it. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Um, so I, I really, you know, my it was a financial crisis. Right. And, you know, I wanted to figure something out that was definitely in need and had a low supply. And, you know, lending and loans and capital were of need and had a low supply. So my idea was. You know, I, I didn't really know what an investment bank or broker or anything that really did, right? But my my idea was to form a business around there, and I really just started cold calling, you know, banks and private lenders, and, you know, and anybody anybody I could and built out a network, right? I mean, that, that that's not for the business, right? Building out your network, and so I literally just made probably thousands of cold calls to capital providers uh, over, you know, it. it months and a year and started building out that network and, and then, you know, let people know what we were doing, that we had capital over the table and it just kind of worked. Um, so that, that's really how it started. And I, I really kind of attributed to just being able to actually make cold calls and stick with it. Um, because, you know, a lot of people don't like doing that, but had I not, had I not done it, you know, it, it, it wouldn't work. There would have been no way to do what we were doing. Sometimes you just got to go back to basics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, like, you know, I'm in somewhat of a different role now. Um, but I think cold calling is a real skill. And like, you know, every once in a while, I'll be like, you know what, I need to bang out like 10 or 15 cold calls here just so I don't get rusty. So. <laughs> and, you know, buying is the most important part of real estate. <laughs> and it's not just the price, it's the payment, and it's the timing. And, you know, to that measure, you know, probably the most important part of finding the best real estate deals as far as price payment and timing goes. Um, you've been through these cycles as I have. Uh, what advice do you have someone today uh, if they're looking at commercial real estate? You know, what should they be looking at? Uh, what should they be prioritizing? And what weight should they put on uh, the timing, the payment, or the price? Um, right, right. Good question. So, it is hard to perfectly time something, right? And I mean, in actually, I mean, I, real estate's not like the stock market in, in a way where there's several different ways you can buy something, right? I mean, you could go to LoopNet and look at stuff on there. I guarantee it's going to be overpriced. Um, or, you know, or, you know, there's off market ways to find stuff. I mean, you know, there's, there's guys that I work with that literally drive around the swamps of Florida trying to find deals, you know, from just long-term owners. And then they, they call them up and, you know, negotiate price. And, 
you know, that kind of off market stuff is really a way I think in any market to generate like, you know, a, a good cost basis for something you're buying. Um, but, you know, I mean, I think, you know, generally speaking, if you were, you know, look, trying to figure out what asset type to get into or, you know, where to buy, you know, really following like, you know, the macro trends of the property type and then, you know, whatever the local demographics are. Right. So, for instance, you know, like what what you want to do is figure out a property type that's working really well today, knowing we're going into recession. Again, something that's cyclical, like a hotel, probably not a great bet. Um, but, you know, there's a lot of, you know, strong economics behind multifamily housing, for instance, or single family home rental, stuff like that. And then if you're looking for the right geography, I'd look for somewhere where there's been a lot of demographic growth and, you know, strong like local income growth to support, you know, your property. Um, I mean, at the end of the day, it is definitely a business. And you want to make sure the right demand drivers and support are there for it. Um, so I think if you if you look at those two things and then, you know, have a way to kind of, you know, acquire, identify properties that's outside of what the masses are seeing, I think you're, you're probably going to end up doing OK in any market. Um, but, you know, you, you don't want to get involved like when the floor is about to drop out. So, you know, if that's coming, it may, maybe cool off for a little bit. But I, I think if you going to follow those three principles, you know, you're probably going to do OK. I, the one question I have: Do you do you have any other mentors or people you go to an advisory board when you make these pivots? Um, I wouldn't I wouldn't say any one particular person. Um, but one thing I do is I read an enormous amount of material every day. Just what's in the news? Like, you know, I have an RSS feed set up with like probably fifty different news sources. Um. And, you know, I mean, I, I don't read every single article, but like, you know, being able to stay up to date, you know, just every day and, and see at, at minimum the headlines and what's going on, I, I think is a huge, you know, advantage. Uh, I, I don't think a lot of people do that, but it doesn't take much time. And, you know, it really kind of, you know, keeps your finger on the pulse of what's going on at any time. Yeah, great question, Mikey. In regards to the recession that we're entering into, whatever the case may be, there's a lot of smart people out there like us on this call right now that kind of look forward to opportunities like this because a lot of wealth can be made um, when blood is in the street, so to speak. What are some what are some cool ideas right now thinking outside the box that might be interesting for people to start taking a look at to get involved if stuff really does get very challenging? Um, I, I Okay, I know this one. Um, I, I, so last night I wrote a Benzinga article and I just submitted, it hasn't been published yet. Um, but one of the trends I see reversing and then, you know, one of the areas where I think you can take advantage of is so, okay. So the, the fed is directly trying to like pull back on growth. Right. And one of the things that, you know, is one of their major points is the dislocation of labor market, right? There's two job openings for every unemployed person that's out there. Right. And so think of what that does. It, it, it significantly puts the power of, you know, basically hiring process in that of the laborer, right? Not the employer. Um, and I think that that power differential is going to flip, right? Because they're going to pull in on labor and growth in the economy and all that stuff. And I, because of that, I think the work from home trend is done. Um, it just hasn't happened yet, but I think it's over. Because, you know, right, I don't know if you guys run any other businesses, but I, I, I run another business where we, you know, we're trying to hire and it is tough. 
right? So you got to basically do whatever the, the employees want. Um, but knowing that and in knowing that I, I think the work from home trend is over because these employers are going to be able to base, you know, command, you know, that sort of, you know, power to get people back in the office. Um, I think offices are going to actually like office products are going to outperform once we start cycling back <laughs> up from recession. Um, because, you know, if you think about it, office valuations are still so depressed from the pandemic. Right. Um, and, you know, you so I think you've got a lot. So once that trend reversal happens, I, I think you've got a lot more upside in that particular asset type than other areas of the market that didn't get hit so hard and didn't stay depressed for so long. Um, so I think, you know, you're potentially riding an up cycle back up, you know, in the economy, but also a major trend reversal um, and kind of that work from home online. Makes sense. Yeah. Yes, sir. Well, if you're looking for some great guidance, make sure you read commercial real estate <laughs> investing, understanding, finding and funding deals in today's world. The president of Clopton Capital, of course, Jake Clopton, CloptonCapital.com, guiding us into making a lot of money to help a lot of people and have a lot of fun. I'm a big fan of really in times like these, if you're willing to do the work, willing to get on the phone. Best comment of the day is I still get on the phone and do 15 cold calls because I don't want to get rusty. You earned my respect with that one, Jake. Thanks for joining <laughs> us, man. Thanks, Jake. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Take care. Thank you. Awesome. All right. Last but not least here from Chicago. And I uh, could have joined Jake. I ran over to his office before I take off for San Francisco uh, this morning. But we have Suzanne McKenzie with us, the founder of Able Made. And uh, she has quite a vision and a mission, as we all do. Um, and Suzanne, I would love to hear what your mission is uh, with Able Made. And, you know, I, today is obviously a purpose driven day as we've had conscious capitalists all day long on the show and to finish up with you is apropos um but for you uh you are inspired and would love to know what this mission driven business is all about absolutely well thank you for having me i'm so excited to be here um able made is my business and we're sustainable fashion and we're empowering city youth through proceeds of everything we do and it we're really about empowering others throughout our whole process from responsible manufacturing to better for you, better for planet materials that we use in all of our products from organic to cruelty-free merino wool. So we're really cha changing the status quo for the fashion industry and also empowering city youth through the game of soccer and some of the, the camps that we, that we um, help fund. Susan's first of all, sorry for your loss when I'm reading the notes. Um, incredible pivot, but you weren't in the fashion industry, but that loss helped you create that. Can you talk about that? Yes. Yeah, so the heritage story is really around um, my experience in the branding industry. I cut my teeth in the ad industry. So I was 10 years at a big firm in Boston called Arnold and really was lucky because it was a really great time to be there. All this global talent was attracted and I have those connections still today. And, um, you know, after about 12 years in the industry, I, I sought out to do my own thing, um, build my own firm where I would be, you know, servicing better for you, better for planet um, companies that had a social mission. And literally four weeks after I left my full-time position, I lost my husband really unexpectedly. He passed away of sudden cardiac arrest on the soccer field, um, playing a semi-pro game in Boston. 
and he was only 32 at the time, you know, very healthy, um, just very unexpected. So that really set a whole change of events in my life. Uh, we started a foundation in his honor, which is still going today. And that's what we help fund through the Able Made company. And um, I ended up doing a Nike collaboration and a poster calendar to help fund the foundation at the very beginning. And because of the success of those two product lines, I cold called Anna Wintour at Vogue and got a meeting, um, not with her, but with her senior market editor. And I went on from there to create Able Made. Um, everybody started jumping in. We did. We started with collaborations with like Puma, Project Runway Winners, um, Swell Bottle, and really started the company based on these limited edition drops that would help fund, fund my foundation or a foundation of their choosing. And now we've since evolved the business to really go back to our heritage story and focus on our own point of view. Um, we were merging ready-to-wear fashion with soccer and, and really sports-inspired athleisure, if you will. Um, so it's all kind of come full circle. I love this. And Suzanne, uh, your spirit is really contagious and I appreciate it. It's great to connect with you here today. You mentioned previously um, beginning cutting your teeth in the ad industry to obviously growing the foundation, able made and so forth. I'm just curious as a fellow entrepreneur, I think this would be good for the audience. What traits and qualities did you adapt and learn in the ad industry that you were able to apply to what you're doing now that has made it so successful so quickly? I think where I was starting at the agency that I did was really fortunate because it's really driven a lot of how I approach any project. It's very strategy driven, but also very creative driven. And to this day, that's how I approach every single project, no matter what it is. And I think you can kind of see that coming through. It's very high concept. Um, you know, colors have a story. Every detail has a story. Every process step in which we create or make has a reason why, like we're domestically manufacturing to support local jobs. All of our socks are made in North Carolina. Um, you know, every single fabric is like talked about at nauseum with my team. Sometimes I think they want to kill me, but I'm like, no, we can't use that. That's plastic. Or, you know, we really like down literally to the thread. Uh, we talk about every single material quality. So, um, you know, and I did learn that through the agency. I also really started in like project management there and then worked my way into the creative department. And I'm so thankful I did that because I have a very strong like process and understand, you know, looking ahead to make sure that we don't hit this pitfall. And that's all things I learned <laughs> with project management. So I'm like, I'm so thankful I have that skill set. Love it. And your ready to wear launch is coming into the World Cup. Ironically, today I'm meeting with Brandy Chastine, which is why I'm at the airport flying out of San Francisco. Um, you know, how important is the global aspect to what you do? Obviously, the World Cup's probably the biggest event, sporting event in the world, and uh, having soccer influenced uh, apparel brand that's ready to wear. Uh, how important will the World Cup be to your launch? We're very excited. There's actually two World Cups coming up. The men's is in November and the women's is next summer. And we actually recently just had a pop-up at the One Hotel, which is Sustainable Luxury Hotel. They have locations all over the country. Um, we were in Central Park and I was like, we just dropped our ready-to-wear line literally in that space. 
And I was like, I know I'm gonna get the, you know, the Europeans, the South Americans, like Africans, like I know where the sport is huge, it's everywhere. Uh, it's the biggest sport in the world other than here. Um, I know I'm gonna get that, but I was actually very surprised at the domestic interest, like people saying that they play or they still play, um, their kids play. I was actually surprised that that was a big draw because you know that is some of the theme of the new ready to wear. So we're very excited for the World Cup. Um, we think it's a huge opportunity for engagement and activation for the brand and storytelling. So we have some things up our sleeve for that. Susan, it's going to be an odd question, but through pain, we find purpose. And unfortunately, you had to go through a loss to find purpose. Do you think you would have been so driven and motivated on this course if you didn't suffer what, the adversity? I think what drives me is because I care so much. And I think that's also why people partner with us because they can hear how much I believe in what we're doing through like my voice. Right. So, you know, before we even had a website, we were able to partner with some pretty incredible brands. And I think it was because of how I was talking about the vision and, you know, the mission and the values driven part of the brand. And, you know, I was already on course to do something in the impact space, but, I don't think I would be anywhere as near passionate as I am about something that I'm so deeply connected to on a personal level. So, um, yeah, I think, I think that's what's gotten us maybe this far in terms of, you know, having very limited resources. Um, we're getting a PO from Rich Drum. Like it's just bananas right now um, based on how much capital we've had to work with. So we've made a lot of progress, I think, based on that passion. Yeah, great question, Mikey. And it's so true. When you have a why, we don't really care about the how, right? And it's no secret how passionate you are. It's seeping through the screen. With Able Made right now, what is the vision going forward? Where do you want to see this thing in the next couple of years? I think we could be a huge global brand. I mean, if you look at all of the trends, you know, in fashion, but in business in general, inclusivity, sustainability, you know, responsibility, all of those things are trending in business across categories and that's what we've been and it's in our DNA since day one. So it's very authentic to our brand. And plus the world cup soccer being the biggest sport, I think everything is sort of like in the stars aligning, you know, it's um, a lucky time in terms of all of those things that we're already doing that are very on trend. Plus, you know, um, the response we've gotten to our new collection for apparel is very exciting too. So I think, you know, we're primed as we're getting some capital in for the first time to really start to scale. Love it. I think you're more than primed. You are ready to go. And as the World Cup approaches in November, we will see how able ablemadeshop.com is. Suzanne McKenzie, I will say hi to Brandy Chesteen for you. You're looking for an ambassador. I will uh, see what interest she has because this is absolutely right up her alley, as you know. Able Made's DNA is probably in Brandy's uh, DNA as well. Congratulations. Continue to do what you do. I'm sure she'll love you as well. Uh, thank you for joining us. We look forward to supporting you, Suzanne McKenzie, com. Check her out. Let's support her in all that she's doing. Thank you so much. Thank you guys so much. It was such a pleasure. Thank you. You're awesome. Bye. Thank you. Bye. All right, gentlemen, real quick, because I got to get to my plane. Takeaways for the day. Mikey, you're up first. 
Mine's very simple. It's all about the purpose and empowering values to me today. It resonates. And one thing that the guy said, which I love, cold calls. Don't be afraid to do the work. Step into your purpose, have the courage, and do the work. I love it. Craigie Siegel, what's your takeaway for the day? Yeah, it's funny. I, I was going to say the same thing in regards to uh, the cold calling. Just not to get rusty, right? Put your ego aside. We're never too big for that. Um, but ultimately, I, I loved all of them, especially the first one. Uh, when I asked him if he worked out, Ken said, I'm so glad that you asked that question because he kind of entered a new community. There's no price it pays to get in there. Uh, and he's met 20 aligned new friends and relationships. And it just goes to show you the power of proximity. Even something as simple as that, where you work out and paying attention to who you surround yourself with. I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, and reminded me the takeaway of passion, purpose, and profitability my takeaway is to triple A strategy of alignment, action, and adjustment through the understanding, finding, and funding of all the opportunities. And all three of our uh, friends here do that in a very conscious way. Kent, Jake, and Suzanne, just other individuals who are all in a passionate, purposeful, and profitable venture, but they know how to align, take action, and make sure they're preparing for adjustment. As we all do here, it's just such a pleasure. Let's give another birthday wish to Mike Diamond. Let's give a special thanks for Craig Siegel for covering me in case I couldn't make it at the airport. <laughs> it's gone. Mike, you're not really 50, are you? Yeah. Seriously? Uh, I look young, right? You're doing something really right, brother. Yeah. <laughs> I think we're still we're alive. It looks yeah, like we lost but at least we had Dave all the way to the end. Great episode today. Uh, so grateful to join you guys. Happy birthday. And for everyone watching, thank you for joining us.